So tonight, we're going to dive into, as I said Sunday morning, we're going to dive into Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 is an amazing chapter for the church. It's probably, in, in my opinion, it's the greatest chapter on grace uh, that you can study. And, uh, but real quickly, before we dive into this, if you've been thinking about going to the Seder dinner, um, I posted uh, and, uh, a little announcement out there on my Facebook page, and four people contacted me and signed up. We had 12 spots left Sunday morning, so we have eight spots left. So if you're thinking about going to the Seder dinner on the 15th, it's going to be sold out if you think too long. So there, there's only eight spots left if you want to go to that on the 15th so that they're announcing there. So that's just a heads up. So you think, well, because even you think, well, I'll wait till Sunday. So I told people, call the office. So if you're thinking about it, I'd uh, make plans to do it. Amen? Father, we thank you for this evening. I thank you for this time together. Lord, most of all, we thank you for your word. Lord, you gave us the ability that we could open your word. And you gave us your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come take what's been prepared, place your anointing upon it, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 11. And uh, we're going to go through the whole chapter here and look at it. But there's an outline that comes with this, and it's broken down. And it begins, the first part begins with, uh, next slide if you would, David. With the rejection, it shows there that it begins with the first ten verses, talking about the rejection of the Jews. It's not total or universal. So God rejecting the Jews means it's not total, nor is it universal. It doesn't cover everybody in that respect. Secondly, is chapters 11 through 21, or verses 11 through 21, God overruled their unbelief for making the Gentiles partakers of the gospel privileges. So God, through their unbelief, he overrules that, and he opens up this amazing door, as we're going to see, for you and I to be, become partakers. And then nextly, we see that the Gentiles are cautioned against pride and unbelief. The Jews shall be called, a, called as a nation and brought into God's visible covenant again, and the purpose of rejection is explained. So all those things are in verses 22 through 32. And then the last part is, is that there's a solemn adoring of the wisdom, goodness, and justice of God. Or the end result is, is that the restoration of Israel brings glory to God. Amen? And so it's a, it's a powerfully interesting chapter. And uh, last Sunday, last two weeks, we talked about the rapture. So we have this timeline for you tonight to show you. And if you look at it, so we have the tribulation timeline, the seven years of God's wrath. And the, the important thing for us to understand, and, and it ties into Romans chapter 11, because in this area, we're talking about the church age. And because of the falling away of Israel... There's been this intermingling, we have another chart we'll show you here in a minute, but there's been this intermingling of the Gentiles into the promises of God. Our grafting in is taking place, what we're hearing about here in the next few verses, is taking place during this time. And then when we get to the end of the church age, the church goes up, and, and, and it doesn't mean the, the rapture, does, I mean the tribulation doesn't exactly have to start right then, but the church is a restrainer that brings about that there is a time of peace, and, and then there, there is, uh, or, or there's something that takes place that causes Israel to sign a peace treaty, and they have peace for three and a half years, and in the middle of the, of the tribulation, 
chapters 11 through here, we have the Antichrist sets up, and it's spoken of, and we read it Sunday morning in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. The abomination of desolation takes place in that time. And then there are all the judgments and everything that is taking place during that time, the wrath and the vials and the bowls and the trumpets and all the crazy stuff going on. And that during this three and a half years of great tribulation, so there's tribulation, and then the last three and a half years are great tribulation, such as never been before, on the face of the earth, and then Christ comes back, and we talked about it Sunday morning, and the second coming of the Lord, and the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. And so then at that time, there's also the marriage supper of the Lamb, and things that are happening there. But the church is caught up to be with the Lord in the air. It's amazing, even as we talk about an exodus, and we think about the rapture or a a, a, a catching up, but a, the, the exodus in, in the church is the ecclesia, which means called out. So we've been called out of, to become part of the church, we are God's called out ones. And it's going to be awesome that there's going to be a day that God's going to call his called out ones out. Amen. And so uh, it's an exciting time. Amen. So look at this next part. Let's talk about Israel. It's kind of interesting to look at. Israel, the Jews, and Romans 11 is really what we're going to be talking about. So we have Israel as a nation, the Jews as a people, and how they're explained in Romans chapter 11. So they're the olive tree there. But if you look at that little map, this is always an amazing thing to me. That's the size of Israel, the geographical size of Israel, placed over Maryland. Okay, the state of Maryland. And so it's a little bit longer, barely. It sticks up a little bit into Pennsylvania, up into Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, just a little bit below the southern border of Maryland. And it's just that little itty bitty swat. That's Israel in comparison to the, 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 the United States. I mean, it's just this little postage stamp, just this little dot on the globe. But isn't it amazing, look at this next slide, isn't it amazing that such a minute piece of land on the scale of global mass could have such an impact on the world? Think about that. This minute little little piece of land out of the whole mass of the globe has this amazing impact on the entire world. There's other, you know, uh, uh, New Guinea is a little country. You know, Japan's, I mean, there's a lot of little countries around, but what's so significant about Israel? And it's people to be such an enigma to the great minds of every generation. The Jews have been an enigma to the, to, to the scholars and, and the great minds of the world, the philosopher. No single nation can ever claim to be the chosen people of God except the Jews in Israel. For they were chosen by God to be a blessing to the world. Do you understand that? Okay. So God's promise to Abraham was that all nations of the earth would be blessed in him. For out of his seed would come a Savior. Next slide, David. So his promise that all nations of the world... Uh, of the earth would be blessed through Abraham, for out of his seed would come the Savior, the Messiah. And wherever they went, think about it, they carried with them the knowledge of the one true God. So the Jews, next point, the Jews have been the historians of the world. Jewish hands wrote the account of creation. Isn't that amazing? Like I said, you're holding in your lap a Jewish, basically a Jewish Bible. No Americans wrote anything in the Bible. If they did, you need to get one that's a Jewish Bible. Amen. 
And as I said Sunday morning, that's where a lot of our doctrinal problems come and our interpretation come. Because there's one thing that happens when you get to, especially in Reformed theology and replacement theology, you hear the term, the Christian church. And that term draws a line of separation and it begins to speak of replacement. And the term the Christian church. And so the Jews have to accept the Christian faith. And there's no such thing as the Christian faith that's separate from the salvation that is of the Jews. Are you with me? And so when they interpret, as I said Sunday morning, when they interpret Ecclesia into our English Bibles... The, word, the term Ecclesia, as we gave you Sunday morning, is a compound word that means called out ones. It, it, it doesn't translate church. That's an English translation or a word ascribed to Ecclesia. So from a root word, it, 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 it's just not in there. And so, But what it does, it begins to make that distinction. And so we go back and we look at that. So Jewish hands have done all this and Jewish hands have recorded the account. In fact, let me just back up for a second in dealing with that, because that's where Martin Luther was so upset is that he was mad because the Jews would not accept his version of Christianity. They should believe he had this revelation of justification by faith. And as we read, he was angry against him because they wouldn't come to faith in Christ according to his interpretation. So he thought they were worthless. Anyway, and, and in fact, I was talking to Sean today about it, and I said, it's amazing how God uses different people. And people, how you can be so angry and so anti-Semitic and have so many different and still be used by God. So it means there's hope for us all. Amen? We can be a little squirrely, and God can still use it. Jewish hands have recorded the accounts of nations throughout time, which are constantly being confirmed through, the modern, through modern archaeology and modern discovery. So it's amazing. When, when you read the Bible, you read the Old Testament, and you find today our scientists and archaeologists are discovering everything written about them. We're finding more and more science is proving the Bible's true. Amen? And so this all, we're all going somewhere with this. So then think about that. They have been the teachers of the world, for they carried the oracles of God, and they have prepared the way for the coming Messiah. And I'm saying this because a lot of times when you read Romans chapter 11, it talks about, and there's that looking up, that God is done with the Jews, and now the church has come on the scene. And we have to be careful in this area. Now think about it. And through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentile nations of the world. For even in their fall, they brought blessings to the world. Isn't that exciting? So if Israel has one, even their fall has been a blessing to the world. So they've had all this other impact, created all this other force, and here's their fall. So look at this next point. Has God rejected his people? The answer is no way. Amen? So let's go through Romans chapter 11 here. Now I found this little cartoon. I thought I'd put it up here because it just says, uh, I thought it was kind of cute. It said, hi, honey. And the little guy's coming home. Hi, dear. He said, the religious group was here looking for some sinners. What did you tell them? I said, you would be home later. <laughs> so what does that mean? I put that there because salvation from the first to the last must either be of grace or of debt. In order to be saved, salvation is either of grace or it is of debt. That God saves us because we've earned something and he's paying us for, for our justification there. But grace and debt are so directly contrary to each other that they cannot be blended together. How many would agree? You cannot blend the two together. God glorifies His grace by changing the heart and tempers of the rebellion. How many have noticed a change since you got saved? If you haven't, we'll have an altar call after service tonight. 
Okay? But grace changes. Salvation changes you. Our hearts, our temperament change. God's grace working, it brings about a real change in our life. All right, let's get started. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also, Paul says, am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets, have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Or Elijah's going, I'm the only believer left. And, and it's interesting that Paul is referencing this in this context because this time of Jezebel is one of the most apostate times in Israel's history. It, the, 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 just the stuff that was going Think about it. Elijah kills 400 prophets of Baal. So, I mean, the intermingling and the paganism that had come into Israel at that time, they, they, they were just so far away and, and so far out of, out of contact with God in the relationship, in their worship and everything. And Paul is using this, that even in this destitute, fallen away apostate state, God makes this next amazing statement. But what does his divine response to him say? I have reserved, look at this, now, this is important, I have an underline. I have reserved for myself, well, you don't have it up there because I changed it on my outline. But look what he says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men. Look what God says, I have reserved for myself. If you have your Bible, underline that in your Bible. I, look what God says, I have reserved for myself. Now listen, grace is based upon God's un merited favor. How many understand that? Grace means God's unmerited. It means you did nothing to do it. So the people he's reserved are not qualifying to be reserved. Are you listening to me? And there, there's an interesting principle. It's a good study to do, and it is the study of the remnant. God has declared that he would always have a remnant. Because when you get to Romans chapter 11, what Paul is talking about is he's talking about God's covenant with Israel. That God, when he created them as a nation, he brought them into covenant with him. And he declared in covenant what he would do. And in covenant, it is sworn. And what you declare in covenant, you declare when you offer the sacrifice, you're saying when you split the animal in half and you walk in the blood and you swear by blood, you say, may what's been done to this animal be done to me and more if I ever break my word to you in this covenant. So you swear to your own death. So God has sworn to his own death and God will not violate his word. And it's not based upon how the other person responds in covenant. God has sworn that he would keep his word. So he's fulfilling his word and he's always maintained a remnant by grace, unmerited favor. He keeps a remnant seed of Israel alive for him to keep his word to. Are you listening to me? And that's so important to understand as we're going through that. So I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of what? 
grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is what? No longer grace. So when it comes to grace, in your life, in my life, how are you saved? You are saved by grace. I am saved by grace. So when people look at Israel today, and like we say, and I read some of those church fathers uh, uh, on Sunday morning, who because saying that Israel crucified Christ. Well, God ordained that he would die. And I said, nobody took his life. Jesus laid down his life. He said, man, at this moment, you know, I can, I can call 12,000 angels and, and, and they'll deliver me. Matt shared it. I forget whether Matt or Eli that shared it. And God can deliver me at this moment. Amen? But, but in that same point, hey, so, so nobody was taking his life from him. I choose to lay it down. Are you with me? And the reason he died, Jesus did not die at the hands of men. He died because of our sin. Our sin crucified Christ. That's the only reason he died was to take our sin upon him, our judgment upon him. So our judgment killed Christ. It doesn't matter who the person was that drove the nails, what got him there. He was freely laying his hands down. He'd have walked there without anybody. Are, are you listening to me? So important. So at this present time, there's an election according to grace, and it's by grace. It's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So the same type of grace that we get, the reason I'm saying here what Paul is declaring, the grace that we understand, the grace that we have received, is a grace that's a universal grace. There's not church grace and then other grace. There's not Christian grace and then a different kind of grace for the Jew. Are you with me? All right, look at verse 6 through 7. And if by grace then it is no longer works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise works is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have attained it, and the rest were blinded. Now when it comes to elect, in there in that covenant, remember God said, I have reserved for myself a remnant seed. So there, 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 there's a seed of election that belongs to Israel. Verses 8 through 10 says this. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their backs always. Now, Israel always had this problem. You read the history of Israel is that as people, many like us, we, we always get people, I always like it when people interpret scriptures then they come down so hard on anybody else. Most of us deal a lot with temporary backsliding. There's nobody that's holy all the time. Could I get an amen? Right. There's nobody that never needs to repent after the day they got saved. There's nobody that's never gotten saved and never had a bad thought. There's nobody that's ever gotten saved and never been angry at somebody and had to forgive somebody and carried that anger too long or justified being angry. Amen. amen. There's nobody who, who, who doesn't need... The grace of God continually in their life. Amen? But Israel had this thing that they would drift so far away, get in so much trouble, and then ask for forgiveness. In fact, uh, it, it was really pretty interesting. Um, I'd heard about the movie called Silence, which is about the Franciscan missionaries that went to Japan in the early 1600s. 
and trying to evangelize Japan. And they were there, there was there was a lot of martyrdom went there and things that happened there. But there was this one. There was a Franciscan priest there, and and the news had come back that he had apostatized, and through the. Uh, uh, the torture and everything that was happening there and then begun to live the Japanese life and stuff. His two disciples says that cannot be our, our father wouldn't do that. So they had to go prove this for themselves and they get there. So when they get there, the person that becomes their guide was this Japanese young man who would always, every time it came down what they were doing, in order to keep from being tortured or put to death, they had a little emblem of Jesus, and they put it down on the ground. And if you stepped on Jesus, they'd let you go and wouldn't kill you. All you had to do was apostatize and step on your Jesus and declare it isn't true. And so every time it came down to crunch time, this guy would step on Jesus. And so when they found him, he gets there, and he finally comes to a place where he can confess, and he asks for absolution and forgiveness and stuff, so they go through the whole thing. And then he turns right around, and then he stabs him in the back, and then he gets caught again. And every time he gets caught, he steps on Jesus, but he turns around again, and he asks, and then he would find the priest in, in the kid, Father, I need to pray again. And, then, and he kept getting saved and saved and saved. You know, how many know what I'm saying? They kept going through that cycle and looking at that. And so Israel would do the same thing. They would go through that whole cycle and do that. And uh, so God, and, and in doing that, when God judges people, how many know God is always righteous and just in what he does? So God gives them grace, but it's amazing in how he works. So look at this next thought. There's a great thing about grace that has nothing to do with us. The greatest thing about grace is that it has nothing to do with us. That's the coolest thing about it. There's not one person in the world who deserves salvation based on any merit other than what? Grace. Grace. Amen? So, look at this next point. I went too far. Therefore, Israel and the Jews will be saved by grace alone through Christ alone. Okay? God will save his people. He has not kept a remnant alive based upon their choice, yet rather upon his grace and his covenant word to them, as I already said, which he will never break. That's something you need to understand. When God said to Abraham, when he said to the nation of Israel, he says, this is an everlasting covenant. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah wrote, and the Lord says, "If if the sun would disappear and the stars would fall from the sky, then... Would, my co- would I end my covenant with Israel? So as long as you see the stars in the heavens, then God's covenant with Israel still stands. He will keep his word. Amen? Now, it's interesting because when you see this, then it helps me because it makes me understand how amazing are the grace that we are saved by is. Look at the next verse, verse 11 through 12. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Did they stumble that they should fall? Or they stumble and they're just gone and there's no reconciliation? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So what God is doing is God is showing, hey, if you don't want me. Now, let me, let me put you like this. And you, you shouldn't do this now that you're saved. But maybe while you were dating, maybe when you were younger... How many of you ever tried to make somebody jealous about you? And so you wanted a relationship with somebody and they weren't paying attention. So you and how many know what I'm talking about? To make somebody, so they would turn their attention or their affection towards you. 
So God said, this is what I've done, is I've given what I said I would give to you, I've turned over here and gave it to these Gentiles, the people that you think are unworthy, people that don't have any covenant, and I'm giving them all the covenant blessings I'm pouring out upon them, so that you'll go, oh God, I want to come back in, I want, I, I want, I want to be back in relationship with you, God's trying to draw them back into relationship. Now if their fall is riches, look at this, look at this, now if their fall is riches for the world. Let me put you like this. Think about that. The fall of Israel is our riches. The condition they are in right now. Everything we enjoy. All the blessings. We get outside. We talk about the prosperity of God. We're living in the goodness of God. Everything we enjoy came to us through their fall. Wow. And their failure, riches for the Gentile, how much more their fullness. So if we get, watch this, if we get this through their fall, when the reconciliation and the restoration comes, how much greater is that going to be? Are you getting what Paul's saying here? Amen. So look at that. For if they're being cast away, Think about this. If Israel's being cast away, the condition they are in, and what seems like an apostasy that they're in right now, is the reconciling of the world. God being able to bring salvation, give salvation to the world, open up to the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Isn't God good? Wow. So look at this, verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy... The lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So the church today, if we have any purity, if we have any ability to walk in purity and, and, and righteousness before God, it's because of what we're grafted into. It's not what we bring to the table. Amen? So this is so powerful. So look at this little illustration up here. And this kind of gives us a little bit of it. So we have unbelieving Israel and the branches are cut off for unbelief. And then you have this, this and for, for, we know it's the called out ones in the church. And so we're using that term and we know what the church means in clarity now. But at the same time, the, the church began in the book of Acts... The church began with believing Israel, or the natural branches of the tree, natural to the root. So the branches that, that, that were naturally grown on that tree belong to the tree. They're there. That's what's taking place. And so, but we, we still have unbelieving Israel, but they remain natural to Israel. Amen? Or natural to the tree. These people are still natural branches. Are you with me? Okay, but then you have this. But now we have the Gentiles grafted into the tree. Contrary to the nature of the tree, therefore contrary to the nature of Israel. But now we're joined in. And so this is really, this church is, is this combination of the Jews and the Gentile. Now what's it going to be when these two come together? Are you with me? When all this comes together, this is what Paul's talking about. So if, if we are, if they're falling away is this blessing to us, then what will be the reconciliation we come together? How awesome is that going to be? Can somebody say amen? amen. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah. So watch that. So the blessing of the covenant, look at this. So verse 17 through 21. Through this act of blessing of the covenant, everybody say covenant. covenant. 
So that's what you have to understand. Through covenant, through this act of blessing of the covenant, the unbelievers have become believers and have been grafted in among Israel. So this is literally what's taking place. You have that, that, that branch down there. It, the, the natural's been cut off. The, 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 the splice has been made. And now the wedge has been made and it's being driven in there. It's being bound. The wilds are being bound to the natural and we're bound together. So look at that. Have been grafted in among Israel and now share in the nourishing sap, the olive oil from the olive root. Do not boast over those branches that fell off through unbelief. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports who? You. So when people, and, and there's so much today, and we hear it in our world, when there's so much anti-Semitism and so much thoughts against Israel, but for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the called out ones of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what we're grafted into. That's why I said, when I met Daniel there, there in Washington, D.C., and I met him, and then I got to go to Israel, it was so life-changing for me to know I'm getting to see what I've been grafted into. I, I'm meeting and through that, and then your heart begins to break. Said, "Oh God, let their restoration come. Because if this is, if it's this good, while they're falling away, how much better?" That's what Paul said. If, if, if their falling away is a reconciling of the world, how much more when their restoration comes? So look at if you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Then. You will then say, branches were broken off that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be what? Arrogant, but be afraid, for if Yahweh did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And people go, well, once I'm saved, I'm saved. I hope so. But if you get arrogant, if you get prideful, if you get boastful, and so you take what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 11, and you take and you blend that together with what Jesus said in John 15 about the vine and the branches, when Jesus says, lest you abide in me, amen? Listen to what Jesus starts out. He said, every branch in me that bears fruit, my Father prunes so that it will bear more fruit. But every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He cuts it off and throws it in the fire. Amen. And so there, there's an area there in both of these cases where both the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul are giving us instruction that causes us to walk soberly before the Lord. And that's what I said Sunday about the rapture. When we don't teach on these things, when we don't preach on these things, then we don't live before the Lord as we should. We don't live with an understanding of His imminent return, that we need to be ready at any time. We don't have a lot of time. We need to live ready and prepared all the time. Amen. Hallelujah. Please not thought. Look at the next slide here. And you being wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So here's what happened. You have the graft selection there. You have the rootstock. You have the scion the, the, the that goes in there. Remember, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. And you can never, and Paul is going to great detail. And he ends in Romans chapter 11, because all the way through, when you look at the outline, Romans 9, 10, and 11, he talks about their falling away. He talks about the church. He's trying to bring some clarity there. But then he ends chapter 11 and bringing it back to our understanding 
of how God is working and how we even have an opportunity that through the grace of God and what He's doing there and the wisdom of God, the only way we have anything is because of Israel. Are you with me? So look at this next slide. Therefore, consider the goodness and what? Severity of God on those who fail severity, but towards you, goodness. What's the next word after goodness? If. Everybody say if. Goodness, if you continue in his goodness. And that's what we talk. See, people say a lot of times, well, you Pentecostals, you guys get saved every week. No, we don't get saved every week. We just encourage people to live in his goodness every week. We encourage people to be in right standing with God. And walk in right relationship with it. Otherwise, you look at if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief. And that's why I said Sunday morning, we have been so desensitized to so much in our society today. Think about it. Think how far we've come. Just on the moral scale in our society. And if that's around it, then where have our standards gone? Let me just ask you that. What's your personal standard of holiness? What's, what can you still do and be saved? Moving right along. So he said, living in his good. Does God have a right to have a standard? We spoke, well, we don't preach that holiness anymore. And years ago, they preached holiness. We were white shirts and women's wear all this stuff. And so it was outward holiness. It wasn't holiness of the heart. It wasn't purity of the heart before God. But that's what the Bible says... Live peaceably with all men and, and live in holiness and peace with all men without which no one will see God. Without holiness and peacefulness with all men, we're not going to see God. Are we doing all right? And so the, how many know this is serious business? But what's happening, we've made everything. People go, we live in a society that doesn't like absolutes. And God is absolutely God. He's not kind to God. God is absolutely holy. Are you with me? All right. So otherwise you'll be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in what? Again. All right. Romans eleven twenty four 24. says, after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how... Much more. I love the how much mores of Paul. That's a great thing. The but nows and the how much mores. Great things to study. How much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own, to their what? Own olive tree. Amen. Now here we talked about this Sunday morning on the mystery. For I would not, brethren, that ye be, should be ignorant of the mystery. Lest you should be wise in your what? Own conceits. That blindness in part happened to Israel until what? Until the fullness of the time of the Gentiles come in. So there is a time taking place. And when blindness happened to them in part until. Everybody say until. So that means it's not forever. It's only until. There's a blindness that is on Israel and something in the wisdom of God that God is doing in the nation of Israel that opened the salvation and the, and the reconciliation to the world that is, God is working in that arena until 
the fullness of the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And then he moves towards their reconciliation. So understand this, and I mentioned it briefly Sunday morning, that God still has to give Israel has not had. We've accepted Christ as our Passover lamb. But Israel has not had their literal day of atonement. Do you understand that? And so this is where this passage is so powerful, the way Paul ends this, is that there's coming a day when Jesus comes back as king, he's also coming back as high priest. How many know Paul taught in the book of Hebrews about Jesus being a priest according to the order of Melchizedek? And so that's who Jesus is. He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was Christ or a type of Christ when he met Abraham there in Genesis chapter either 14 or 15. I can't remember which chapter off the top of my head. And then Paul refers to that in Hebrews chapter 11 and said that's the, that's the priesthood of Jesus. So when Jesus comes back, he's not only coming back as king, but he's coming back as high priest. And as high priest, he's not going to stand in the temple. He's not going to sacrifice a lamb, but he's going to present his blood. And the priest, what the priest would do, and I said it Sunday morning, that the priest would go into the temple and then he would come out and on the day of the atonement, he would declare that the blood of the sacrifice covered the whole nation. And it's interesting, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but I'm running out of time here, is that it's interesting that God took one man named Jacob and changed his name to Israel. And Israel became the name of one man. So when God deals with Israel, he doesn't deal with the multitude. God is dealing with the atonement that everybody is in one man. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, and that's, that's the way the Lord deals with us. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. God only sees two men in the earth. He sees people in Adam or people in Christ. If you're in Adam, you're in the fallen man. If you're in Christ, you're in the new man. Are you with me? And so when God sees Israel, he doesn't see a multitude. He sees one man. He sees Jacob, whose name is there. That's why he says, you sons of Jacob. Malachi chapter 3, God says, because you are the sons of Jacob, I have not destroyed you. God refers to them and, and because of his blessing to Jacob in reference. So look at what it says, verse 26 and 27. So all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For look at this. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Let me ask you, did Jesus come and take away your sin? And you're a partaker of that same kind of grace that he's saying right there? So he is righteous and just in doing the same thing for Israel. Could you say amen? amen. All right. So look at verse 28. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. That's covenant terminology. Are you with me? Covenant terminology. So for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. We use that all the time about calls, ministry, doing different things, people doing. We see people, we're serving God, not serving God. We encourage them to get back serving God. God hasn't taken it away. And that's true. There's good application at work there. But this is really talking about his covenant with Israel. Amen? What he called, his calling them out, his gifts to them, everything, the promises, his 
covenant promises and his call to them as his nation are irrevocable. I'm going to say, everybody say irrevocable. That means it can't be taken away. No matter what kind of spiritual interpretation and mumbo-jumbo we've tried to do through replacement theology and separation theology and everything else, you cannot annihilate the covenant of God. It is an irrevocable covenant with the nation of Israel, His called-out, chosen people that we are grafted into. Amen. Verse 30. For as you were once disobedient to God. How many of anybody disobedient before you got saved besides me? Look what he said. For you were once disobedient to God, but now have obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, have these also now who have now been disobedient, that by the look at this, that by the mercy shown to you. Are you getting this? That because of God's mercy shown to you. To the world, to the Gentiles, the reconciling of the world. The mercy that God has shown in turning from them and the mercy that we've received because of what he's done for them. He will be righteous and just. They also may now obtain mercy. And I put it in here. Grace to the world will one day be grace to all Israel. I don't know about you. That's exciting. Amen. God is so cool. So look at, for God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So this is what he said. He said, all Israel will be saved. God is able to be righteous and just to all. And it's so important we understand. And, and what's cool is, is that we said, when it comes to end time events, with these things happening, and we see the fulfillment of these scriptures coming down, it's getting closer and closer to the time that you're looking at. Man, it's getting very close to the end of this time that he's talking about with Gentiles. And God's getting ready. There's a whole lot of focus coming back this, to the nation of Israel and the world and nations and things happen around that that point to the culmination of all things. Amen. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For watch this. For of him and through him and to him are all things. Everything is of God, through God. And to God. Amen. And what happens is we try to figure it out. That's why I said, who went and gave God counsel? And when people interpret, well, I'll tell you what God did, and this is why he did this, and this is how he did this. No, he did exactly this. And Paul came down and says, hey, and that's what's so amazing. I saw this man years and years ago. And uh, to see that, that God, because of what he's done to them, and literally it's like this. Jesus, when he comes, is going, because of the grace I've shown to the world, Unmerited favor, unmerited grace, unconditional grace. You did nothing to deserve it. You, every one of you deserved complete judgment. Yeah, but I have forgiven you. And I forgave you before you asked for it. You were saved by grace before you accepted it. So because of the grace that's been given to us, God will be righteous and just in turning to Israel and giving them unconditional grace. Amen? 
So look at this. Israel will have a literal day of atonement. Jesus will come and pardon them as one man in Jacob, for he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? Father, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you they came out tonight because they were hungry. They wanted to know. I pray, Father, that something has been ignited in them that helps them understand how amazing your grace is in their life. How wonderfully you have worked in our life. But that came about because of the fall of Israel. Father, help us to pray for Israel. Help us to stand with Israel. Help us to pray for our brothers and our sisters. Lord, we want to see the reconciliation of them. We long to see the day of how much more. Lord, when you complete all things. So, Father, tonight we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor. And Lord, I pray that each one...